Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. One of our favorite questions we ask at PIR is, Pastor, how is your soul? Uh, We're convinced that at the heart of every ministry is the heart of every minister. How we allow God's care for our deepest places directly impacts the ministry in which we engage. Your soul care is crucial to your life and ministry. So, how are you doing? Today, we're pursuing that question as we sit down with someone whose passion is helping pastors thrive in the trenches of pastoral ministry. Yeah, Tom, our guest today is Brian Croft. Uh, He has served in pastoral ministry for over 25 years and is the founder and executive director of Practical Shepherding. This is an amazing ministry. Um, He's the senior fellow at the Mathena Center for Church Revitalization at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's written and contributed to over 25 books on pastoral ministry. Uh, He leads weekly video cohorts that include uh, over 800 pastors from 47 states and 27 countries. I'm just getting tired thinking about all of this. Uh, He travels all over the world, preaching uh, at local churches, speaking at conferences, and training pastors. He's married to Kara, and they have four children. Brian Croft, welcome to Hope Renewed. Guys, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. So let's start by just having you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry journey. Well, Sean, hearing that made me tired too, actually, as, as you were. So I'm having to regroup here a minute. No. Um, yeah. So I, I am, uh, as, as you mentioned, I was a pastor for 25 years. I did eight and a half years of associate pastor work, um, a couple larger churches, some smaller churches, some short stints. And then I went to be the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. I took a very typical church of uh, it was a Southern Baptist church. It was, it's been in decline for, it'd been in decline for over 40 years. Uh, 30 elderly folks remained there, you know, very common tale. Um, <clears throat> the, the, they were, you know, running at, almost out of money. Everybody was just tired. They were a couple of years from closing really their doors and felt called to go there. You know, I'm a, I'm an optimist. So, you know, I went there thinking, oh, the Lord's going to work. And my wife's like, this is going to be a disaster to go here. You know, so <laughs> she was more right than I was. And we went in and uh, we knew it'd be a hard place. We were told it would be. It had a reputation of chewing up pastors and spitting them out. But uh, we didn't realize how hard. So the first five years of my ministry there, there were three different movements to get me fired. There was threats of violence against me. Uh, there was uh, the church ran out of money at some point that my name was slandered all throughout the community. Uh, it was so it was it's its own dramatic story. But um, <clears throat> the the Lord saw fit after those five years at year six, just turned the ship of the church and it and it flourished from that day on. And, and when I say flourish, I ended up staying there 17 years, but our church never reached over 100 members. So we can talk about that. But but too often we're you know, we are talking about success or flourishing in ministry by numbers and money. And I just have a totally different metric because I think the Bible does, but we can talk about that at some point. 
but that's so, but we saw a flourishing in the church for the next decade. And, and practical shepherding started out of those early years, actually, as I was training young guys for ministry, just taking them with me to the hospitals and the funeral homes and widow's house. So uh, that, that was my practical shepherding started out of that. And then just slowly grew as, as the needs for pastors grew. And, and that's kind of a, an overview. So a year ago, about 14 months ago, I just felt uh, I eventually transitioned from the church and, and served full-time, started serving full-time with practical shepherding. And I've been doing that for the last 14 months. And that has been a, just a great joy and privilege to get to serve this ministry for the last uh, 14 months. And that's what I'm continuing, uh, continuing to do now. I have two grown kids, a son that lives in Minnesota and a daughter that uh, lives here locally. She's an EMT. He does. He works at a hospital uh, doing some different work there. Then I have two other girls in high school, my four kids. Wow. So your story includes a lot of pain in ministry, which I think is probably one of the reasons why you have such a, a deep heart for pastors. Um, can you can you just tell us what what the experience is like when you know, man, I'm about to get fired here? Uh, what's what's going on in your heart? What's what's uh, <laughs> happening in your soul? Yeah, great question. And, you know, and you guys know this well with the work you're doing. I mean, God often uses our own experiences that gives us then a passion to want to care for others in those ways. And that was certainly my case. So, yeah, I, I think I can relate to the fact that if you would have told me what would have happened those first five years, there's no way I would have gone to the church. And so uh, there's nothing like going to serve a flock and pour yourself out and give everything to it only to turn around and have people not only receive your ministry, but actually try to destroy you in a sense. Mm-hmm. And that's a really common what, what a lot of pastors face. And I, I dealt with it, you know, three different occasions. It was three months in, it was two and a half years in, and it was five years in. And the worst one was five years in. So after you've invested all this time and energy. Uh, so it's, you know, I also was functioning with a very little, amount of a capacity of self-awareness and no one was going on in my own soul. And, and so that made those times, you know, you, you respond and you know, defensive and you take things personally in ways that are unhelpful. And, and so that, that was me. So at the end of that five years, my, um, I actually started what's part of my stories at the end of those five years, we survived the firing attempt, but I had, uh, I was at the ripe age of 34 years old. I started having physical symptoms uh, that my body was basically shutting down over the stress and, and, and just what we had endured. It's funny that it shows you the level of self-awareness I didn't have. I'm sitting in the doctor's office. The doctor looks at me and goes, so how stressful is your job? And I'll never forget responding like this. I don't know. As stressful as everybody else's, I guess, you know, just <laughs> completely, completely unaware of what I was really, not just what I was going through, but, but how it was impacting me as a human being. Mm. And I, <clears throat> that, uh, really sent me on a new journey of trying to just care for, learn to care for myself, care for my own soul. And that was, is interesting. That happened right at year five. And then in year six is when the, the church turned. And so, you know, I think that a lot of times pastors are not equipped to, it's already hard enough. If somebody's trying to fire you and you're dealing with the difficulties of the unique challenges of ministry, I think that everybody deals with. But when when you don't know how to care for your own soul, you don't know how to care for yourself. You don't know how to rest. You don't know how to let go of the burdens. Uh, that's one of the one of the main reasons I think that most pastors burn out and mm-hmm. can't 
continue. And quite frankly, was was the path I was on into it. But I got some help. I got some counseling. I got some people who really started helping me learn how to deal with my own internal work with what was going on in my soul. And I mean, that made that made all the difference. As as you reflect back on on that time, what what would you have done differently going into that um, situation? Well, that's a that's a great question. You know, I think one of the things that gave me confidence in that situation was I had been mentored well in what I needed to do ministry wise in the church. So, you know, there's some different philosophies on what's now being, you know, there's a big movement now of church revitalization, which I'm heavily involved in. Um, but back then they didn't call it anything. They just, you know, it was a struggling church and nobody knew what to do really. But my mentor taught me, you know, that the word of God builds the church. And so you go in and you preach and you love people and you care for people's souls and you trust the spirit's going to work as you're in your pastoral care and in your shepherding. And, and, you know, you do evangelism in the community, try to reach people and all that, but that, that's what I was taught. So I went in with, without a feeling of having to do gimmicks or pragmatism or entertainment. This is, that's, what's going to fix this. So on one sense, Tom, it was helpful that I felt confident in what the, what the formula was. If the God was going to salvage this church, this is how it would happen. But on the other side, I, I was incredibly unaware of how, how the, the ministry was affecting me personally. And so if I could do something different, I certainly would have, I would have wanted to do more of a focus of trying to just uh, know myself better, know how to walk with the Lord better in regard to the activity of my soul, you know, how, how the things of my past and the pain of my life has affected me personally now and how that even carries over into the, into the ministry. You know, I'm convinced that pastors take, go into churches and they have deep wounds from family and from other, you know, relationships and friendships and all those things. We have no idea how much we just transfer those things onto a congregation. When so, when they come to us and hurt us, it, it just it, it wounds even deeper. I, I would have been really helped to have been equipped more in regard to ways like that. So, ministry-wise, I felt confident. Even though I was younger, what I needed to do, I was incredibly ill-equipped to personally deal with the way all these things would have impacted me uh, personally. So your story is one of, of not just being hurt in ministry, but learning to heal and to recover. Um, and I believe that if we do the work of recovering, learning to care for our own souls, that we actually become better leaders on the other side. And it sounds like your ministry, Practical Shepherding, has, has come out of that experience. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your ministry and uh, what resources and services you offer? Yeah, and that's exactly what, you know, what happened. So practical sharing started in those early years. I had some young guys. I mean, we're in Louisville, Kentucky. So we had a handful of young guys from the seminary who, you know, heard what we were doing and wanted to come help. It's back, you know, this is almost 20 years ago. So this is before there was much, very many churches to be able to go to in Louisville, uh, that were that seminary students from the seminary from the from uh, Southern would want to come to. Four or five guys came, and I just took it upon myself. I mean, I'm a local church pastor. I thought it was my responsibility to train these guys for ministry. I knew they were getting good theological education, but I knew that they weren't teaching them how to do ministry at the seminary. So I was like, oh, that's my responsibility. I just kind of blindly assumed every pastor took that responsibility. Found out later that's not the case. But uh, so I took I took these young guys, and I would just 
you know, I would involve them in the, they said they want to be pastors. Like, okay, well, you need to learn how to, you need to learn how to be a pastor. So you want to come to the hospital with me and see how, how we care for folks and come to this funeral with me. And I'm going to visit this widow. You need to come with me. I involved them in their, in my sermon prep and how I was praying for the church and, and how I was trying to care for individual members. I just started doing that, that ministry. And some of them, as one of the times we came back from a hospital visit, they said, will you write some of this kind of practical tip stuff you're, you're showing us <clears throat> guys. I was a terrible writer, like just a terrible writer. And that's not a false humility. It was really bad. Like didn't know how to write at all and barely passed English class in, in high school and in college. And I said, you know, I'll jot some things down, but you know, writing a book or doing any kind of extensive writing on this, just it was the furthest thing from my, from my radar. And I did that, but it eventually just evolved into putting organizing together in a little book on hospital visitation. And, uh, and I did it for these guys to be able to give them and a, a small public publisher in the, in the, in England that did practice one of the few publishers back, you know, talking 12 years ago now that published practical resources, they wanted to publish it. So they did. And it ended up getting a, a lot of traction on the internet when it was released, it exposed this gaping hole, basically of practical resources that didn't exist for pastors on how to do just practical ministry. That's, that when we saw that gap, then we started a blog and we called it Practical Shepherding. And this is 12 years ago when blogs were huge. And by the way, guys, I didn't know what a blog was. Somebody told me you need to start a blog. I said, what's a blog? You know, I, so that is not the way to do it. Learning to write as you write books is not the way to do it. And uh, starting a blog when you just barely learned what a blog was is not the way to do it. So the Lord was kind that we didn't do any, say anything crazy uh, online through those early years. But it's, that's how the ministry started. It was that hospital visitation book. And then it was this blog. We put a two, 300 word response up to a question like, hey, what are some tips to the, when you visit somebody in the hospital? We put those in. Then we opened the comments up and other pastors just start chiming in with their tips on hospital visitation. And it ended up becoming this, this really sweet online conversation pastors were having. And that's really what launched the ministry. And we just continued on. Um, that was about four or five years. Well, after I went through what I shared a few minutes ago, what ended up happening, and this is, you know, I see just God's hand of his providence and timing, uh, a second lane of practical shepherding opened up. It was not just practical stuff. It'd be like somebody reaching out going, hey, I've got this weird funeral I'm doing. Can you kind of help me talk me through this? And I'm like, sure, let's talk. We were talking to say, by the way, while I have you, like my wife's about to leave me. Could we, could we maybe talk about that or, or, you know, I'm, I'm about, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown and I don't have anybody to talk to. Would you maybe take a few minutes extra and talk to me? All of a sudden this, this second lane opened up and I would say that was about, you know, that was about 10, about seven or eight years ago when that opened up and that was caring for pastor souls and caring for them as individuals. Well, of course, in God's kind providence, I was in the middle of just, an awakening really of learning how to do that in a way I had no category for. And so as I'm learning this and having some skilled people, you know, walking me through my the things I'm dealing with, I, I, I learned a whole nother skill set in pastoring pastors and how to uniquely do that with the strains. And of course, in God's, you know, kind providence, he took me through those first five years. I'm convinced. I mean, intentionally, that was not God making the best of it. I'm I look back and see he ordained those years uh, to teach me and to to uh, to allow me to experience what 
I mean, guys, and you guys are in this work. I mean, based on what I went through, there's there's rarely a pastor that calls me that doesn't tell him doesn't tell me that either doesn't that shocks me or that I haven't experienced in some way or another, and especially in those first five years. And and that just opened up this whole uh, opportunity to care for pastors. And so I learned a really valuable lesson on how to care for pastors. I know that will resonate with you guys is that I think that pastors care best for other pastors. In other words, what opens a pastor up to be willing to talk is that he knows he's talking to somebody who knows what it's like to be him in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that that has opened up all kinds of ministry. And that's what ended up causing practical shepherding to really start to, to grow and, and flourish. We wrote more resources because the opportunity was there that the gaping hole of resources was exposed. And we were asked to continue to do that. And I, I agreed to try to, to crank out some more resources. And that's how that side of it started. But the caring for pastor side just kind of organically came out of that. And, and in your work with, with hurting pastors, what are some of the trends you're seeing? So I would say that um, the, the trends are guys that, well, number one, they, they were like me. They, they didn't have a category of taking care of themselves as they're pouring out for everybody else. So, and, and I think the New Testament is really clear about, I mean, when Paul speaks to the, the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian pastors in Acts 20, he says, take heed to yourself and to the flock. And I think we do a ton of focus on taking care of the flock, but we kind of dismiss take heed to yourself. And by the way, uh, and even anybody who gives kind of a nod to that, they usually think it means, oh, that means just doctrinally. Well, it does mean doctrinally, but it's not just that. It's it's talking about your life. In fact, that context speaks specifically of the life of the pastor, because then he goes on to say, taking to yourself and the flock, because savage wolves are going to come in and not spare the flock and attack them. And by the way, they're going to come from mm. you guys. So it's like, pastors, take heed to yourself, so you're not the wolf to go devour the flock. And so I think one of the things that make, that really is a problem with pastors is they're not, they're not doing their own soul work and they end up harming the flock, maybe not as a wolf, but they haven't done their own work to know how to um, care, to be able to pour out in a way that just doesn't deplete them in a way that then they, I think made bad decisions and do dangerous things and harm people. And, and so I actually think a lot of what we're seeing with pastors, whether it's burnout or stealing money or, you know, having, you know, extramarital affairs, whatever it might be. I think a lot of it is tied to pastors. Uh, I describe it this way. I think, you know, you got a cup that's full of water and pastors just pour out and pour out and pour out. If there's nothing that pours back into that vessel, uh, if the pastor doesn't know what he needs to do to fill that vessel back up, well, all of a sudden you, once that's empty, you keep trying to just keep pouring out and you have nothing left to pour out. And I think that's where pastors implode and uh, have nervous breakdowns. And I'm seeing this in 40, 50 year old pastors. It's, this is the other trend I'm seeing 40 to 50 year old pastors, maybe served 15, 20 years somewhere. They're all of a sudden having these mysterious health issues that docs can't diagnose. It's really fascinating from a, just a sociological perspective. I'm the amount of guys that are, that are going to doc, doctors and trying to figure out what's going on. The docs like, like we don't know what's going on. And then as I start talking with guys, and they start walking me through what they're going through. I, I, some of these cases, I at least put it on the radar. You know, c- could could this be an accumulation of stress-induced, you know, things that you are dealing with? Your body is 
know, that that um, it's a secular book, but it, it's, I think, incredibly helpful category and certainly a, kind of the definitive work. You know, the body keeps the score uh, of that book, I think, is just that concept. The body, we don't give enough credit that the body tells us that something internally is wrong. And, and so I would say to answer your question, Tom, that one of the many of the problems that I see pastors are facing, whether in all the categories we say, that's the result. Guys are pouring out and pouring out. And there's They don't know how to fill themselves back up. And so bad things happen out of that. And they don't give enough credit to listen to you and what's going on in their own bodies to see something's wrong. Yeah, I think we should just just kind of double down on that. Pastors, you can't pour from an empty cup. Uh, you have to have that wellspring of life that comes from within, and that's rooted in your time with Christ in prayer, uh, in reading the Word for, for the sake of your own soul, not just to get another sermon, uh, in caring for your soul. Those are, are so important. Uh, Brian, what warning signs do you see in pastors' lives that tell you this pastor's in trouble? Um, other than what I, I think the things I just mentioned, I think, you know, so physical signs of, of kind of almost mysterious, like physical signs, it doesn't point to a particular thing that can be, that it showed to be stress induced, uh, <clears throat> pastors who, I'll, I think this is a big one, Sean, even though I think it almost, it's not talked about enough. Pastors don't know how to rest. Mm. And, and, and when I say that, that doesn't mean they take vacation or not. Um, I know plenty of pastors don't take their vacation time uh, and you guys, do, but I was one of those, by the way. So I know what the mentality is, but, um, but it's, it's, I'm not talking about, well, take all your vacation. I'm no, no. I watch tons of guys take their vacation and they don't know how to let go. Uh, and vacation actually is more stressful than even being in the ministry uh, context because they don't know how to let go. And they're worried about what's going on. And, and by the way, I mean, I, I two, uh, uh, one of the firing attempts, the middle firing attempt in year two uh, happened while I was on vacation. So like, and of course, that's the cliche, you know, with a lot of other guys. I mean, somebody tries to sabotage the ministry. And I'll be honest, for, I came back. I didn't go on vacation a whole lot after that. <laughs> and, and to, so I get it. But I, I, I think guys don't know how to rest. You know, they don't let go. They don't. And so to answer your question, people don't expect me to say this, right? But, you know. <clears throat> You need to learn how to rest. You need to have a hobby. You need to have something that doesn't involve ministry at all. You, you've got to have a mechanism and a, and a rhythm in your life that helps you let go of the ministry for a time. Mm -hmm. And if you become really skilled at that, that you actually can do that for an evening. You know, you can do that for a day. And and there's a there's a, a window of rest that fills that starts filling that cup back up uh, to allow you to be able to pour out again. But when guys don't know how to rest, and, and I, I really think that means letting go of ministry burdens, um, they just carry it all the time, and which means they're pouring out all the time. And that that capacity to be able to give and to be available to people uh, runs out quicker when you when when the pouring out never stops. Uh, you're going to go empty faster. And uh, and if you don't fill it up, then it, you're just going to continue to function on empty. So I think rest and knowing how to rest is a really big issue around that. And isn't, isn't a part of that permission, giving yourself permission to rest, uh, having that understanding that we, we need rest, but, but also living in a culture that allows a pastor to rest. So the point I'm pressing into here is um, 
maybe the pastor not knowing how to rest and and driving himself forward and forward and forward. But what about the church? What about the people who think, well, that's the pastor's job. They're supposed to be doing that all the time. Um, how how do you deal with that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you're you're so right that one, pastors don't pastors don't give themselves permission. And then a lot a church may give a nod to, yeah, you we'll give you vacation time. But one and but in my case, I mean, I was on vacation that the church approved for me to take and had some people try to sabotage my ministry out of that. So the, the there's a two pieces of permission on that. I think and pastors have to first give themselves permission to let go and rest and realize, you know, again, part of this is training. Part of this is just not guys that having not been mentored and taught that, yeah, yeah not only is it okay, it's actually essential that, that you don't constantly carry around all these burdens all the time. You got to figure out how to, to let them go. Guys, it's amazing. The, the pattern of conversations I had with pastors, uh, I met with a pastor yesterday and had this conversation. He's like, yeah, you, believe, you know what? I have pretty much have the same message for every pastor, different situations. But as I hear what's going on with them, what they need to hear from me is, you know, you're not God, right? You, yeah. You're not God. Like you're trying to function like you're God and you're not. And you're a man and you're a human being and you have limitations. Right. And, and even God rested, right? <laughs> exactly. That's kind of the, where the principle comes from. So, but I think that truth, that that deeply rooted biblical truth that God's God and we're not, and we're just men and we have limitations, capacities and weaknesses. And that truth is what I think sets up a pastor to give himself permission to be able to rest. But the other side to this, you alluded to, Tommy, like congregations have not been taught well at all about how to care for their pastor. In fact, the cliches that still exist, you know, that is that the opposite, you know, that how's the phrase go? Like, I mean, we'll, you know, um, we'll keep them poor and God will keep them humble or something like that. I mean, you know, there's cliches like that for a reason. Like congregations haven't been taught how to care for their pastor Two, uh, even if they've been taught, a lot of them uh, are so wounded by the pastor, by the previous pastors that they're very cynical and distrusting of the pastoral office. So I think that's contributing to a lot of this is that pastors come and go so much that uh, congregations just get wounded by that. So one of the things I try to do is, is not just help a pastor know how to care for himself so he can stay and have a long ministry somewhere. But I also think that's the best formula for a church to flourish is that a pastor not come and go every two to three years. I think that, that, wounds congregations it makes them distrust the pastor's pastoral office so the next guy that comes in uh, that was one of the most valuable lessons i learned in my ministry is that when i've realized when i these people were so hostile towards certain people obviously not everybody but i just remember asking like i remember asking at one point like what did i do to these people that made them hate me so much like i don't recall anything i specifically did i haven't been a perfect pastor it's like to deserve this. And and God just really gave an insight in that in a certain moment that changed everything. It, 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 I realized that, that they weren't mad at me. Mm-hmm. They were mad at the previous pastors who had harmed them in so many different ways for 30 years. And they didn't trust me because, because of what those other guys did in a lot of ways. Well, that changed everything. One, because I stopped taking things so personally realizing, okay, I'm inheriting the wounds of this congregation, 
but I didn't cause the, a lot of them. And so for a pastor to have, again, but that's, that requires a self-awareness to realize, well, this isn't about me. This is, and to, for a pastor to have a, a, a soul maturity to, to be able to see that. And that's how you're able to step in to love people who are after you and try to continue to pursue people who don't want you to pursue them. And that was my story. So I, I feel compelled to tell you guys, I mean, to, to complete the story that I told at the beginning, not only did the church flourish in year six on, but but God did a remarkable work. Most of the people who were after me who tried to fire me in those early years stayed at the church and God completely redeemed so many of our relationships to the point to where when I left after 17 years, there were five original members that were there when I got there who were still alive. They were there and they were the dearest people to me. They're the people that were hardest to leave. And so my story is built on this this redemptive piece of how God restored our relationship and not just restored, like they became the, the, the most, you know, sweet, the most dear people to me in the church. So I, I say that part of it because I do believe that that's a work that God wants to do, but for a pastor to stay through that, he has to realize some of these, these issues around how congregations are wounded and hurt. I, I know I got on a tangent there, Tom, but, but, to, but, to bring it back to your question, uh, congregations don't haven't been taught well how to care for their pastor, but oftentimes that's why they don't want to care for their pastor. They don't they don't trust him. So if breaking the cycle in church revitalization work uh, is a pastor gaining the trust of the congregation, and when that happens, I mean I experienced it. Like they'll fight for you, they will follow you wherever you want to take mm-hmm. them. But most pastors don't get over that hump. They either burn out or can't take it, or you know. Just whatever happened, that that story and why the short pastor it's so all over the place. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful to hear. You know, that's the transformative work of the gospel. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that that redemptive uh, work and seeing it in a church, and it really bears out the conviction that that healthy churches are led by healthy pastors, and so it behooves a church to invest in their pastor's health for their own health. Oh, that's well said. I couldn't agree more. It's well said. So, Brian, just kind of continuing with this theme, every uh, Saturday on Twitter, uh, you you send out a, a tweet that talks about what your pastor might be experiencing in this moment, the stress he may be feeling about preaching tomorrow or what uh, what it's been like uh, at, just as a pastor. Uh, how can we help the church better understand the difficulties and strains of pastoral ministry so they can care for their pastor better? It's a good question, which I'll answer in a minute. I just want to highlight, Sean, the way you started that question. You sent, you put a bunch of anxiety in a bunch of people listening to this. When you start a question, it says, when you say on Twitter, uh-oh, you know, like what, what's coming next? You know? And and I, I joke about that because I'll be honest with you guys, full disclosure, I, I, it, I probably wouldn't even be on social media if I hadn't figured out a way to actually be helpful to people mm-hmm. in that venue. So uh, if anybody follows my Twitter or any of my social media, they'll see like, you know, I don't start fights. I don't weigh in on controversial issues. I do what you describe. Uh, I, I try to use it as a as a way to let pastors know they're they're not alone. Uh, they and that people other people go through exactly what they're uh, what they're going through. So, um, but yeah, just a just a quick side on on the way I. I'm thankful for Twitter and being able to reach guys like that in that way. But I, 
yeah, I think that's why that has become a, a helpful avenue for a lot of pastors is that pastors feel very isolated and alone. And I think there's no shortcut, Sean, to be able to, to help a congregation know what pastors go through other than finding a way, a mechanism to let the church know that. And there's a couple of ways that that can happen. One is, is to try to reach people on social media, even who are not pastors, but they follow, you know, uh, you know, different people who would try to address this. The other part is, I think other church leaders have to step up and support the pastor. Mm -hmm. And because it's, there are certain aspects of, there are certain aspects of a pastor cannot fight for himself in some ways and other people have to fight for them. And many pastors won't, many pastors won't fight for themselves in that way. And so somebody else has to step up. And I, I think that's one of the things that breaks the cycle also is that a lot of pastors feel alone because they don't feel like anybody's for them and fighting for them. So again, I, I think that's why uh, ministries like yours, like ours is, is needed in a sense that so we can, so we can reach folks in that way. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that's been helpful uh, for me has, has been uh, recognizing that um, we're all, in a sense, interim pastors. We're only here for a period of time. And uh, one of the things we try to do as pastors is, is leave the church in a better place for the next person. Um, and so as I was getting toward the, the end of my time uh, in the church I was in, uh, I started talking about some of the struggles of pastoral ministry and how the church could better invest in the, the next pastor. I think we as pastors need to be willing to share some of our struggles, not in a, in a way that's, you know, calling attention to ourselves, uh, but in a way that's investing in the church for the future. Yeah, no, well said. And, and I will say that one of the places where my ministry took a turn in a really um, positive way at the church is, and again, this is all part of my own personal, you know, soul journey. And it, it, it's just going to take months. It took years, as you guys know. And I mean, it really takes a lifetime. But as I started to come grow in so much more awareness of the activity of my soul, and honestly, the the benefit personally to me to embrace weakness, as the New Testament teaches us to do, when I started publicly, sh you know, sharing about those things with the congregation, you know, measured uh, wisely, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, but man, I, I, it just, it started opening up a, a whole nother window of ministry I didn't have in the church because when a, so a congregation typically looks at their pastor and assumes he doesn't struggle like they do. They assume that that's the default, unless a pastor starts telling them uh, that he struggles like them and he's a human being like them and he needs Jesus just as much as they do. And, and when that happens, man, it's amazing what what ministry opens up in a pastor's ministry in his church. Now, you, there's a balance with this because the pressure that pastors feel so much is I got to have everything together for all these people. So when a pastor implodes in the middle of his ministry, it shocks everybody that what happened, you know, I mean, and, and it, it can just devastate a, a church. And that's part of what's broken. I think in the congregation pastor relationship that exists so much when I started like sharing appropriate, but vulnerable sermon illustrations about myself and, and when, when appropriate in a sermon or, you know, in a members meeting with people and let people in on ways that they can pray for me in ways that, that I'm struggling. It was incredible what happened. 
to my relationships with so many in the church. Now you open yourself up for judgment for the people who think the pastor's, you know, supposed to be here and have it all mm-hmm. together. Sure. But I'm not sure those are the people I want to please. I and mean, when I, when I, when I got to that point, I was like, <laughs> you know, you're welcome to, you're welcome to judge me if you want, but you're believing an illusion about me or any other pastor for that matter. So I have found is the more that a congregation knows their pastor's human, the more they're willing and desire you know, and wanting even to care for them. So that's a big piece to uh, t- teaching a congregation how to care for a pastor. So um, carrying on with that, that theme of weakness, um, what are some of the things that pastors really need to be paying attention to in our current climate? Um, things, things have just gotten out of hand in some churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what can a pastor do to, to weather that storm? Great question. And that's a loaded question, isn't it? I think last, <laughs> last two years. Um, but I would say a couple of things come to mind. One is if there was ever a time that a pastor needs to embrace, not just be okay with it, but like embrace his own limitations, mm-hmm. his limited capacity to do whatever he needs to do. It's now. Um, you know, I, I've, I've tried to describe to people who aren't, who, who aren't pastors, or who haven't been pastors before, when they, you know, to try to articulate how this, why this has been so uniquely hard is especially through the pandemic and mask, no mask and the, the volatile political, you know, world we lived through the last couple of years is that a pastor his job is to find some way to take this person on the extreme side and this person on the other extreme side and somehow get them to love one another and agree to disagree. And All the while, that pastor has his own opinions about whatever that topic is, Mm. and he can't even say anything about it. His job is to try to, he's working too hard to try to get these people to not Mm. just be at each other's throats or the church split over these arguments kind of thing. And that is just such a really difficult position for a pastor to be in. So I think you have to kind of just put it out there as this is the situation. You can't fix that. And... Mm. I think putting it out there like that helps a pastor realize, okay, this is what I, this is what I'm supposed to do here. And, and I have to trust God with, if, if we lose 20% of the church, because these two sides are fighting, I can't keep that. from I can try to help people see, you know, and be that mediator. And I think that's mainly what a pastor is supposed to do. You know, when you're having to make decisions around these things, like, you know, when that mask, no mask debate was huge. Yeah. You just, you got to try to hear the congregation and and do your best to make the decision that's best for your congregation after hearing them, not necessarily what your personal opinion is, but what was best for the congregation. And this is the hardest part. And then being okay with realizing that's all you can do. So I think what wears pastors out the most is, and this goes back to this kind of superhuman expectation that pastors carry around is everybody's expecting me to be this way. So I must have to try to be this way. I think that is the best recipe to burn out really fast inside of five years, I think. And it's why the stats are so staggering when you see, you know, you know, 50%, you know, the stats we use that is the research, you know, that we have benefited from, from others, you know, 50% don't make it five years, 80% don't make it 10. There's a lot of explanation on why that's the case. That's really, it seems to be the margin in regular pastoral ministry, not, not to mention what we've gone through in the last couple of years with the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it just seems like these last two years have just um, 
brought to light, heightened those simmering things that have always been there, but now they're front and center and can't avoid them. And, and by the way, Tom, I, I, you're right. And I think I have a more optimistic view of what's happening, though, than, than I think. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's I, I think I, I, I think things exactly what you said, having things are getting exposed that need to be exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's lack of commitment to to being a, a member of the church. And like, you, I would kind of want to know that. And mm-hmm. is your church smaller because of it? Yeah. Is, you know, are you having to regroup and find other people to lead other ministries? Yeah. But maybe it'll move you to cut that ministry because it just needs to be. I, I think this pruning is not a bad thing. But I again, I think this is what gets exposed is to what we were talking about earlier is how much pastor. I think we have been so wired by the church growth movement in the 90s more than we realize. And that we we have that metric it also doesn't help for those of us who live in America and so much is seen as bigger is better. So, you know, financial, you know, financials and numbers of people, those are the, the tangible metrics to judge whether a ministry is effective and fruitful and healthy. And it's just, that's just not true. And so I think this is pushing pastors to go, well, this is my flock. It's 70 now. It's not 120. It's 70 now, but this is my flock. God's entrusted me to care for. And quite frankly, they're all really committed. And the people who, these are the people who want to receive my ministry. As I do, yeah, that, there's a lot of good in that, I think. And trying to help pastors see that, I think, is important work right now. Yeah, and, and there's a, a clarifying of call in that, too, isn't there? Uh, if if uh, pastor will allow that to happen. That's right. Yeah, it's a regrouping, I think. I I, I think I put, I, I put something on Twitter the first of the year, something like, you know, pastors, can we agree that now's the time to just determine whoever's at church is who's coming back? And, and, you know, stop kind of making plans like those 30 people or those 40 people that haven't come back. They're not going to. The pastor often deals with some pretty wild expectations from the congregation, but sometimes those expectations are imaginary. They're just in his head. Either they're, they're things that he has for himself or that he imagines the church has for him that, that aren't really there. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's contributing to the burnout levels that we're seeing is mm-hmm. it's just how much pressure pastors are putting on themselves. Can you mm-hmm. speak to that a little bit? Well, I think you're exactly right. And I, I would say one of the things that exposes that helps address that, those kind of realign those expectations is, is pastoral friendship. So I think that a lot of guys feel alone and isolated well, the danger of being alone and isolated, other than the obvious things we would determine from that, is you're left to your own in your own mind and thoughts on what those expectations are supposed to be. So pastors being with other pastors and having meaningful friendships with other pastors, I think, is one of the most valuable things that helps address that, that helps balance out those expectations. The other one is just being aware of what you said, Sean, like for a pastor to realize, you know, <laughs> This is me. That goes back to that self-awareness piece, doesn't it? It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't give you a name of any person who said this to me, that they somehow have this expectation on me. But we presume it in a lot of ways, and it's in our head. And mm-hmm. so a, a lot of, so I think the two areas pastors need to regularly be self-examining is what is a legitimate pressure I'm really feeling from the congregation? And do I need to try to meet that or not? But the other one is what, what pressure am I putting on myself? And 
I, I find this is true for my own life. Uh, m- many pastors crush themselves unnecessarily by simply their own expectations. And again, I think that's why this, that, that's why we all have to be doing our own soul work because so much of that is tied to uh, how we have learned to function and process information and the things we've gone through in our life, the pain we've experienced, all that informs those expectations. And if you're not aware that it does that, you're not going to get to the root of, of why it doesn't matter how hard you work. You don't, you don't ever reach that expectation. I, I, I tell pastors the two things that two things that, that are sins I'm convinced and very harmful to us, but we turn into virtues in the ministry is perfectionism and control. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism. We both, oh, I'm a perfectionist. You know, we kind of, you got to say that in a, as, as a positive thing. And what we're implying is I just want to do things really well. I care about doing things well. The problem is it's a sin because only God is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not perfect. We'll never be perfect. We are setting ourselves up for failure every time the moment we inflict perfection on us. And by the way, if we're perfectionists, most always we put that on other people who serve with us mm-hmm. and we crush them with it and control. Like it controls an illusion and we try to control everything around us. And, and as a recovering control freak, I can say that we, it, it's how we try to find peace and comfort when we're feeling anxious. All right. All this stuff's got to be in front of me and I see it all oh, that. Then I can relax and, and breathe. And so control is one of those things that um, when we, when we realize that wait, we, we're not control of anything actually because God, God's in control. So it's the two ways we try to be like God that I think is unhelpful. Mm. So these, these are very practical concerns, and practical shepherding takes a practical perspective and offers some very practical uh, resources. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Shepherd's House, what that is and what it offers. Yeah, thanks for asking. We're really excited about this. So uh, it, the, it's been a big dream of mine for years. Uh, it was one of the reasons I went full-time with the ministry last year. There are things like this that I really felt led by the Lord to do and just couldn't pursue by pastoring as well as doing these other things. The Shepherd's House is a, we were seeking to buy a property to be able to bring pastors in for free to come and stay a couple of days and get some rest, regroup, get away from the situation they're in, but also then provide a pastoral mentor. That is another local church pastor that we train and are part of our ministry to meet with them, to have somebody for them to talk to. So we're trying to address all of the things we're talking about, the isolation, the aloneness, the the, the need to just go and rest and, and regroup. So we tried to buy a property and we were in the midst of that. A guy got a hold of our proposal and said, Hey, I already have this. Um, and we don't use it much at all. Our families, our kids are grown. This guy. So over the course of the summer of the three months, I met with this guy and the Lord just did this tremendous work. And he is, he is partnering with us and allowing us to use his property eight months of the year uh, it's six bedroom log cabin on 180 acres of Kentucky woods. Wow. And it's, it's just tremendously beautiful. And, and so God, and God has just brought it all together. So like we, uh, so we, we locked that up, but then we're like, Oh, we still have to try to raise some money somehow to hire staff and all this kind of stuff. And we started doing that and God, we raised what we needed in like 45 days. I mean, it was just crazy how, which doesn't happen by the way, in our, in our ministry. Like, and, and so, uh, that's how the shepherd dust came about. We really feel the hand of the Lord on it and we launched it and, and we uh, take possession of the property literally is next week. So um, if you want, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and go click on the shepherd's house link. And if you want to learn about it, it tells you everything. It's your pictures of the property, 
why we're doing it, the history of the property. And it, it is set up there at the bottom. There is a, a button where if you're a pastor or pastor and his wife or even other women, just women in ministry, ministry leaders, uh, if, if, if you can get yourself to Louisville, Kentucky, just outside of Louisville, we let you stay for free. So lodging and we have food provided there. And we have we have a team of pastoral mentors. They're local church pastors that are part of our ministry that have done a lot of their own work that um, that we've trained them on how to go and meet with a pastor when they come. So uh, imagine coming to stay two or three nights. You got this beautiful property just to be there and rest and, and do whatever. And and then at, during that time, three or four hours, uh, a pastoral mentor comes and just sits with you and talks and connects and gets to know you and hears your story and just provides somebody for you. You know, no deep, intensive counseling is happening in that. It's not what we're doing. Uh, but we're providing another human being who knows what they're probably going through to be able to talk with them. So we've already, we, we're like six weeks into launching the website to be able to allow, invite people to come. I think we have like 13 weeks of people already coming uh, in six weeks. Uh, and so uh, we're really excited about, about this. So you guys, you know, feel free to feel free to send folks to us. Uh, the best way to, the best way to have somebody come stay is go to the website and go down and, we allow groups to rent the cabin, but, uh, and so there's a different button for that. But if you're an individual pastor who just wants to come and get a little help and, and rest, it's all free. What other hopes and dreams do you have for uh, practical shepherding in the near future? So, um, I'm pretty much done writing. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't enjoy writing actually. I know that may <laughs> sound like this has been a really interesting plan the Lord's had for me. Um, but I, I, I think I've said most of what I need to say. And so the plan, Lord willing, the next five years, 10 years is to try to expand to a level that we can build our team up to help as many pastors as possible. Uh, a lot of the core resources we have now are being translated into all kinds of different languages. That's a big push right now. So our international ministry is really growing in an encouraging way. So a lot of our focus now and, and, and dreams really now at this point are to, to develop the shepherd's house and really do that, try to do that well and invest there. And then the other side is, is trying to, in a greater number, so that's kind of where the cohort idea came from is how can we reach, how can we help uh, a mass amount of pastors, not just one at a time, because we've already got that mechanism. Honestly, the, other, the big part of the dream way to pray is if the shepherd's house goes as well as we're hoping the long-term goal is that we multiply it and we take the model we've created, um, which, and you know, where, you know, we think pastors care best for other pastors. So this model of training volunteer local pastors in a network of people who are actually the ones that just are able to meet and connect with those who come stay. So the hope is long-term is that we would be able to actually have other shepherd's houses in other places, but that's the big dream. We'll see if, but you asked what I'm dreaming. That's, that's what I'm dreaming about. <laughs> and, and recently, uh, Kara has uh, developed a ministry for women. Yes. Well, so my wife um, is, uh, she's a, she's a counselor, she's a full-time counselor now. So um, launched her practice a, uh, a little over a year ago and, and it was like full in a matter of months. So. Um, and of course she, she had a reputation of being really gifted at, at counseling. And so uh, there were, there were certainly people when she was ready to start taking more, more clientele that, that, that happened. But, um, but the, 
Fractal Shepherd has a women's ministry side to that that's started a few years ago. And we brought my wife and then a couple other ladies to, to help with that. You know, it's still in the developmental stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're certainly limited in, in they're all moms and and uh, have, uh, keeping up with a lot of other things. But um, what they try to do is is the lane they're in is they're on social media, putting things out there since we've seen the value of that. They're writing some articles and things like that. The other thing they do is we provide we try to provide some mentoring and counseling for lady for, for pastors, wives, and other women in ministry. So mm-hmm. they're all maxed out. All three ladies that serve with our ministry, and uh, so my wife is a part of that, and that she handles the counseling side of some of those. We have another woman that connects with other ladies and maybe just doing some online mentoring, coaching, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's that's about the extent of where the ladies' ministry is, and we're hoping that continues to uh, to grow. But I'll acknowledge that the need is just as much for pastors' wives and women serving in ministry in different ways, just as much as male pastors. We usually like to end our uh, our interviews with the same question: What words of hope would you like to offer pastors and their families? It's a good question. Um, when I read the Bible, we win. <laughs> so. Um, The words of hope I'd give to a pastor is when I read first Peter five and it's that beautiful, I think summarized imperative of what the work of a pastor is shepherd the flock of God that is among you and explains how to do it. And then it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So that only, that only reminds us that's the end of, of our labors and as being pastors, but I'm convinced that the chief shepherd, who has appointed pastors as under shepherds is uniquely with us to strengthen us and help us to persevere. And I mean, if, if we preach that Jesus never abandons his sheep, how much more true is that for the under shepherds entrusted by him to care for those sheep? Mm-hmm. So the word of hope I'd have for a pastor is, I mean, the chief shepherd is with you and for you more than you can imagine. And that we would look to him ultimately for that strength and that grace we need every day to do the work. Brian, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to be with us here on, on Hope Renewed. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that you are continually filled with the hope of Christ, the great shepherd of our souls. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.